Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops, a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference. I'm your host, Paul Warren, at NWI Warren on Twitter, and you can find Union Street Hoops on Apple Pods, Spotify, and SoundCloud, as well as the award-winning NWI.com. We've got a fun episode for you today. I sit down and talk with Adam Amin, former Valparaiso University broadcaster, got his start working at WVUR, the student-run radio station, moved on to the Gary Railcats, and ultimately to ESPN. Adam has now taken a job with Fox Sports, where he will be calling NFL games, as well as Major League Baseball, and he was recently named the television voice of the Chicago Bulls, replacing Neil Funk. Adam and I have a conversation that talks about his career a little bit, and talks about what's going on in the world right now. Uh, both, uh, I, I don't remember if we hit on COVID at all, uh, a little bit. You know, we've, we've talked about that in the past, but also um, what's going on in response to the murder of George Floyd and the protests and riots and all of that that have come out from that. You know, I, I've gone back and forth as to what I wanted to say here. And truth be told, I've recorded like a dozen of these openings already, and I'm just going to go with this one. And I think I've talked myself out, despite the fact no one will hear it, and uh, and I'm just I'm going to listen, because I think that's what I need to do. And I'm not going to tell you what to do because it's not my job. You got to figure that out on your own. But I'm going to listen. I'm going to you know I've I've reached out to to a couple of guys, uh, you know, and I'm I'm, I'm just I'm going to listen. I want to listen to Eric Bugs. I want to listen to Daniel Sackey. I want to listen to Alexis Williams, and Vashiel Fernandez, and Jabril Adekoya, and the list can go on and on. And I just want to listen. I don't know what it's like to be black. I don't know what it's like to go through life with that in everything that it encompasses, right? And so, but I think it's important and I want to listen. And even though it's not my experience, I know it's somebody else's experience. And I just think it's important to listen right now. You know, I I saw something on, on social media the other day that said that, uh, just because racism and COVID-19 hasn't impacted you doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And and look, I've, I've never been pulled over for driving while black, and I don't have any relatives that have died due to COVID. But I certainly know that those things are out there right now, and my heart hurts for that. So I'm going to listen, and that's what I'm going to do. And part of that starts with talking to Adam Amin and listening to what Adam had to say. And I think Adam has got some great words. And if you if you don't, you should follow Adam on Twitter because Adam – you know, as a broadcaster, he understands word economy, and he's very measured always in the words that he says. And if you can get by the funny memes and the jokes and the self-deprecating humor that he throws out there, which is hilarious if if you know Adam, uh, he's always got impactful things to say. And so uh, Adam's going to talk, and we're going to listen, and I'm excited for it. I think you'll enjoy it. And looking forward to uh, getting back to doing some more interviews here in, in the next couple weeks here on Union Street Hoops. Thank you all for listening. It, it means a lot, and uh, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to listen more. So here is Adam Amin. Adam, thank you for joining. Interest of full disclosure, Adam and I talk a lot. We're friends, but happy to uh, happy to take a, a moment here and, and talk to you as someone who is, uh, is uh, making some good news happen in the world right now. So thank you for that. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know how responsible I am for it, but... Uh... Any any time somebody says, "Hey, it's a, it's a nice break from what we're dealing with currently," understandably so. I'm happy to help in whatever uh, indirect way. And I've I've got some questions about that in a little bit, but but you know, let's talk about the 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 job stuff for a second. Yeah, you 
for me, I always talk about how I turned down the volume on the on Tech Mobile when I was a kid and, and broadcast games. That was how I got my start in, in sports media. It used to drive my, my mother crazy. Was there a moment when you said, this is what I want to do? Like, did, did you, like, was there like an epiphany or anything like that when you said, I want to, I want to tell stories of my voice in sports? It didn't really come until I got to Valpo, in all honesty. I didn't really know this was something I wanted to do. It wasn't known to me that this was really a career to pursue. It was something enjoyable, something to mess around with on the side, maybe. Uh, It was kind of a a passion project, perhaps, for lack of a better term. And then eventually, it, it started to develop into something that like I thought to myself, you know, you could do this. This there's a there's a career out there. Once you once I became more of a student of the craft of it, and, and that was formulated at Valpo, I started to re- think this could be a real career choice. So I when I when I that hit me at maybe nineteen twenty years old, I really kind of went full bore and went all in on wanting to do this and, and dedicating and devoting a lot of my time and energy to getting better at it so that, you know, someday I could do it full time. You know, we talk about, obviously you worked with the men's basketball team a lot. Homer Drew was a guy who I know had a bit of a, you know, just as an influence in terms of being a coach that you talked to uh, and Todd Eichow, and I'll get to Todd in a second, but was there, was there a team or a coach or an athlete or something like that, 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 you know, kind of opened your eyes a little bit to this at Valpo? Uh, You know, I think, Certainly the men's basketball team had a lot to do with it, but I was really invested in the soccer and volleyball teams. I felt like covering Karen Avery's team, covering Stephen Anthony's team, and eventually John Maravich's team, uh, I I felt like they were looking for investment. They wanted people to be passionate about their sports. And, you know, when you go to Valpo or when you you learn about Valpo, one of the first things you're going to learn about is the history of the basketball team, right? The the 98 run for that team and the, and the magical run in the NCAA tournament. And of course the shot for uh, my, my now former uh, partner, uh, Bryce Drew, uh, <laughs> you're going to learn about that fairly quickly. And when we got into the business of, of calling games and producing games and working on the broadcast side of things, you know, I, I was, I came from a volleyball background, you know, I had played for, you know, six or seven years at, you know, in school and in, at club level. So when I had the opportunity to, broadcast games and start doing play-by-play, I wanted to do Valpo Volleyball. And Karen Avery was very welcoming of all of us who wanted to be a part of, of, the, uh, of the team, so to speak. And uh, the same eventually went for soccer. You know, Stephen Anthony really embraced us uh, coming in and, and asking questions and uh, the passion that a lot of us showed for, for calling those games. It was, it was exciting. It was enjoyable. So the fact that we wanted to invest in them. They wanted to invest in us. That kind of, it, you're, you're naturally going to have uh, a little bit more of an affinity for those teams and for those coaches in particular. And, and there were a lot of great players that ran through both. And I'm, I became friends with a lot of them and, and still am with some of them to this day, which is wonderful to think. You know, Allison Sears was one of my favorite players to cover. We've, we've stayed close through the years. But I, I do feel like just the mutual investment was a big reason why we gravitated towards those particular teams. You went to Addison Trail High School in Chicago. You went to Valparaiso University in Indiana. And smack dab in the middle of that is Gary 
where you worked with the Gary Railcats. How did you get involved with the Railcats, and how formative was that experience to do minor league baseball in the middle of the summer, you know, smack dab in the middle of kind of your home and your college? Yeah, it's, it's very uh, symmetrical, I, I guess, in a, in a way. I was uh, very, I'm still to this day very thankful for Andy Viano, who had graduated the year before I arrived. I think he was uh, class of 05, if I'm not mistaken, and I came in fall of 05. And Andy was an excellent, excellent, you know, revered, uh, in a lot of ways, broadcaster at WVUR. And when I arrived as a student, he was working in the sports information department. And I, I think over the course of a couple of years while he was there, he had heard some of my work. He had, he had heard some of my broadcasts. Uh, we had we had gotten a chance to cross paths several times, and I, I I never really will understand what drove him to do it, and uh, I, I'm certainly thankful to it uh, for uh, for that to this day. Uh, he reached out and said, you know, if you wanted to jump on and do some Gary Railcast games when he took over as the broadcaster and media relations person for for the team, uh, I would love to have you, and you can come in and call the three innings. I can't I can't pay you, but you know you can come in and do the middle three innings or. You know, you can do however many innings you want, you know, and, and if you want to stick around and help out with the story or whatever, you know, feel free. And just the fact that he reached out and, and gave me the, that option was huge. And I remember one of the first games I did in May of 2008, it was towards the end or maybe right after the end of uh, my junior year at Valpo. Uh, it was like a Valpo night, and it was kind of cool to call a game, and there are students littered throughout, you know, my friends, my classmates littered throughout the stadium. And I'm just thinking, I, I know I would love to be down there, you know, having a beverage and, and enjoying their company and, and joking about stuff. But I kind of like being here and calling the game and having the crowd as the backdrop. And that kind of, that, that really influenced me in terms of how I thought about broadcast and how I, how I started really thinking about sports. And those two summers working with Andy, he was nice enough to have me back the following summer after I had finished at Valpo. Uh, those two summers were incredibly important. I, I took a lot of my style from him. I was doing a bad imitation of him for quite, you know, for a good portion of my time with him. And eventually it helped me find my voice. It, it was a really good start uh, on a path to figuring out what I was supposed to sound like and what type of broadcaster I wanted to be. You're familiar with the film Almost Famous, correct? Yep. Okay, there's a great scene in Almost Famous, and I think this is probably going to butt up against uh, some tactfulness here, but I, we'll, we'll go with it. Jason Lee talks about his role as the frontman of the band, and he says, I get people off. I look at for the guy in the crowd who isn't getting off, and I get him off. Who do you broadcast for? Like when you get when you get in the booth and the game's going, you talk about kind of sitting up in the booth and seeing your friends down there and and all of that. And but like who who do you what's going through your mind? Who do you broadcast for? Man, that's a that's a very intricate question, and I'm sure there's a lot of layers to it. I I think at the core of what we do, or maybe it's just at the core of what I do. You know, part of this is performative. Right, maybe a good chunk of this of what we do is performative, because it is the theater of it all, right? It's the drama of it all, and you know you get a great situation, you know, three balls, two strikes, bottom of the ninth, winning run at third. Here's the pitch, uh, three seconds left, you know, tie game, ball in the front court, inbounds pass comes in. Here's the shot for the win. Like we 
we kind of love the theater, the buildup and the drama, the tension and the release of it all. And that's performative. You know, I have a, I have a, I had a performance background. In fact, I did plays my freshman year at Valpo. I, I think we did the crucible and Romeo and Juliet. And uh, I had to make a decision if I wanted to go radio or stick with theater. And I chose radio. And, but, but part of the reason I chose radio is because I love sports and I enjoyed the, the performance aspect of it. So in some ways it's for the audience because you love the theater of it. But uh, to be honest with you, I think selfishly I do it. I do it for me. I honestly, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever thought about that question before, but I think I do it because I enjoy the rush of it. It's an adrenaline rush to try to get it right. You know, there is no script. This is more, um, this is more improv than, than it is scripted television. You know, this is not, I think I've heard a lot of people talk about it being organized chaos. You know, that's what it is. You have the, the structure of this. You understand how a sporting event works. With the, you know, there's uh, X amount of time in every quarter. There's X amount of outs in every inning. Like, you understand the, the, the skeletal structure of it, but the blood and the muscle of it, you have to re- – you're not given that. You have to read and react to build that. And I think the rush of that, especially in the biggest and most dramatic moments – uh, to be honest with you, I think that's that's for me that I get a true joy out of doing this, and I don't think I necessarily would would enjoy it as much if it wasn't something that I was truly passionate about. Uh, so I've, I've never been asked that question. I'm I'm fascinated by it, and I hope the answer was was intriguing enough. Well, uh, I'm I'm glad. You know, we've had you on the podcast a couple times. We've asked you all sorts of questions. I you know, obviously, you and I have talked a lot as well. Um, but I thought that was uh, – I wanted to throw a curveball your way. Uh, I, I do want to talk about something serious here, and we'll get to the Bulls and Fox Sports in a second. And and you've been on this podcast before. We've talked about your journey before in terms of how your parents got here. Um, you know, and, and for those who don't know the story, Google Adam Amin and you'll find it. And I'll also write part of it in the story that's going to be on NWI.com. But, you know, obviously there's the question of who do you broadcast for, but – I guess I want to ask you this question, and it feels like a really important question this week. Who do you represent when you go on the air? Yeah, uh, certainly a question that I feel like a lot of us are asking in, in whatever form or fashion uh, fits our, our, our story, right? We're, we're, I think a lot of us are asking some form of that question to ourselves right now. Uh, I've never felt more like myself, more like my story, more like my background than maybe this last week and a half. You know, I, 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 I'm sure I'm over dramatizing it in the eyes of, of some people. That's fine. I'm still trying to navigate this as well. So I, 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 my apologies if it's a rambling incoherent answer, but I've thought more about the people in my community and I'm, I live in Chicago and, and I'm from this town and I'm from the suburbs of this, of this city. And I've lived here a long time. And you've been falling asleep and, to the sound of sirens for days now. Yeah. I, you know, to, for a little backstory this past weekend, you know, during, during a lot of the protests and, and what, what some would term riots uh, across the country and in a lot of major cities, the protest, uh, the peaceful protest in Chicago began two blocks from my apartment. And by the end of the night, one of the blocks on or one of the buildings on my block had been set on fire. Now, granted, it was put out. Everybody was safe. And the protest eventually moved far further east and north of me. So I never felt unsafe uh, in my apartment. 
But over the course of the night, from anywhere, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the evening until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, the sound of sirens was prevalent. And that's the genesis of thinking about what you just asked. I think it has a lot to do with wanting to believe, and I know I'm an idealist and I, and I have that in my head pretty constantly. I, I want to think the best of people. Uh, thinking that my skin tone didn't matter. And by the way, I'm not equating what I am dealing with or what I've dealt with in my life with anything that a black person has dealt with because it's just not the same. Uh, we, we share certain bonds. We certainly have some semblance of an idea as to how, how, how black people feel right now, but it, it, we can't possibly comprehend the scope and the depth of it. And I think when I do anything now, especially considering the position that I, I've been lucky enough to be given, the platform that I may or may not have, uh, and the, the means that I, I've accumulated, I feel like I have a responsibility to try and help in whatever way I can. And that means representing my community, and that means all of my community. That means, you know, white, Latinx, black, you know, male, female, uh, LBGTQ. I think I think all of that has to be, you know, Asian, as my as I am, from South Asia, or at least ethnically. I have a responsibility to represent this community, and if I go out and reap the benefits of saying I live, I'm from Chicago, and we're diverse, and we care about one another, I can say all that. But if I don't do anything about it to make sure that that remains the case, or if it's not the case to make sure that becomes the case, then I think I'm failing as a citizen uh, of, of, of the community that I wish to represent. It's a great answer. Um, I I, I want to ask about the jobs. I, there's no segue that's going to be uh, beauti- sure. beautiful here. <laughs> so I do want to ask about the jobs. You, you probably set the record, if not are in the top, you're certainly in top 1% of people that had to fly over the last five, six, seven years, you know, traveling all over the world to every town, nook and cranny of this country. Um, was, did that, does that weigh on you after a while? I think so. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the, I, w- I wouldn't have any of the opportunities I have today, if not for the accumulation of all the travel and all the hours and all the broadcasts and, and all of it over the course of, you know, nearly a decade, I wouldn't have, that wouldn't have led to, if I hadn't put all that in or if I hadn't accumulated all of that, I wouldn't have had enough equity to invest in the new opportunities that I now have. And I knew at some point when I did close a certain chapter and move on to another one, part of that new chapter wanted to be narrowing the focus. And I think that's what this new opportunity gives. It takes a little bit of stress and weight off of my shoulders. It gives me an opportunity to focus more on quality uh, rather than quantity, you know, in terms of number of sports. Uh, I'm basically covering three sports now. And that is, you know, a a fraction of what I've been doing. That's, That's half of what I've been doing over the course of the last several years. So I I think that's one of the reasons that I felt like it was time to, to close one chapter and open another one. And I, I think it's definitely one of the peripheral benefits of opening the new chapter. You know, you, uh, you had one of the classier 
and I say this, A, as someone who knows you, but just from the periphery, one of the uh, the classier send-offs of leaving one company and going to join another. How important was it for you to let the community know that you appreciated your time at ESPN? Exceptionally important because I, you used the word formative earlier. Uh, I got hired as a kid. You know, you wrote the article, in fact, uh, when when I got hired. Uh, that, well, gosh, it was nine years ago now. And that I was still a kid. You knew me then. I was still a child, essentially. I was, I was very, uh, I don't know if I was, uh, I'm sure I, I would like to believe that I was more mature than other people my age, but compared to now, I was a moron. And I think seeing the growth, and having it take place in one spot for such a long period of time to not only grow as an individual, you know, as a per, as a individual broadcaster, but as a person and to learn how to associate with people and to learn how to be part of multiple teams and, and crews and work with people from all different backgrounds. And not to say that I wouldn't have been able to do that in any other job or any other profession or any other network, I'm sure that would have been the case, but I, it was this network. It was at ESPN. And I, I, I talked with another broadcaster who had, who used to work there uh, for a long period of time, and he said it fairly well. He, he said, you're kind of giving, not that you're leaving, you give away a little bit of your soul. You know, a little piece of you has to be left behind. You'll never have that, that, that same experience ever again. Because it was that time, at that age, at that level of maturity, uh, in, in that portion of the job career, like you're, that, that's a very specific feeling, and you have to give that up, and that's that sucks. It, it's it's hard uh, it's hard to give that away because it's part of you, and but to successfully move on, you have to give that up. And I thought he worded it very eloquently. And it's, it's true. It rings true. I'm sure it might be a little over the head of, of some people, but I think a lot of people would hear that and think, you know what, I felt that way at another job, or I felt that way about a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, or my ex-wife or husband. I, I, I'm sure a lot of people feel that way about relationships. I miss this friend, I ha- but I have to move on from this person. Like It feels that way a little bit now, even though it's just a job, just a place to work. It's a very special place to work for me because it shaped a lot of the, the person that I am now. And so you, you have this opportunity that opens up to go to Fox, and we'll talk about Fox first and then the Bulls, to be a national NFL television broadcaster. It, it you know, it, it feels like a big, a big accomplishment. And it is. It certainly is. But, like, what just how excited are you for that opportunity? And Major League Baseball is in there as well, I you know, but, like, the, the challenge of now – being in the professionals 24-7, how exciting is this? I mean, I mean, I'm thrilled for it. Again, another reason that I kind of wanted to take the next step. I grew up in Chicago, of course, and grew up on pro sports. I wasn't a college sports fan, really, until I got to Valpo, and I fell in love with college basketball while I was there. I didn't really care that much about college football until I got to ESPN, and then I fell in love with it while I was there. So, that, I mean, those are great things to be a part of, but at my core – I grew up rooting for professional teams because we lived in a big city. So the fact that I get to cover those now full-time, focus on them, uh, is, is huge. And the NFL thing in particular, uh, on, on network television, 
you know, there are only, you know, 16 of those jobs maximum a week. You know, there's only so many uh, people that have that opportunity to call these games. And that's a big deal. It, it feels like it, at least. I feel like it should feel like a big deal. We should be thankful for that. And and I want to celebrate that. And obviously, I'll get to that point, at, uh, you know, someday down the line when I feel like it's appropriate. And, uh, you know, we can all kind of celebrate together whatever individual thing we want to. Uh, but trying to look at it in just this little bubble, yeah, I, I'm very proud to be part of a very small fraternity of broadcasters that get to cover, you know, the nation's most popular sport. And now the Bulls job, it it felt like, so this, you know, the, the ESPN to Fox, it obviously there was a lot of behind the scenes, I'd imagine, um, but you, you put in some time with the Bulls here, uh, kind of filling in for Neil Funk over the last year or so, just... Your your experience with the filling in did it wet the appetite more? To I mean, did did you was this always a focus? I want to be a team's broadcaster. Kind of how did this come about? Yeah, I don't think that was the case actually. The the, uh, the part about wanting to be a team broadcaster, you know, I got to a national platform at twenty four, and obviously advanced in that platform. And you kind of think when you're when you're not thinking about this as a job as a kid like i said i didn't really think about this as a career until i was 18 or 19 i didn't really think about being the broadcaster of a team long term i thought my goal should be to be a national network broadcaster and i'm thankful that i've had that opportunity obviously sir i'm very thankful for that but when i did you you nailed it when i started filling in for these bulls games and thought and this is different it feels different you know and and i felt a little bit of that too doing the bears preseason games but you're not going to be with them the whole season you know that again the preseason games are locally broadcast and the, the regular season are national so you don't really that you know that's a little a, a more of a separate thing uh so when i jumped in and started doing bowl games even if it was only a few a year you know it was, I, it was slated to be uh I think 10 this year, you know, four of them got wiped out uh, during the pandemic. Uh, just during those games this year, I kept thinking, you know, this is different. It feels uh, like I'm a little bit more invested in this than I was, in, than I ever thought I really would be. So finally, I, I got to a point, you know, late last year, where I thought, man, it might, this, if this happened, I think I'd really want want to do this. I'd love to make this more of a more of a consistent thing. I mean, little did I know that I'd have this, you know, this opportunity to actually be the broadcaster for the team. And uh, you know, obviously, whenever we get back to hoops, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. But uh, until until I really started filling in, it never occurred to me that this could actually be a, a job to have. And when it when that thought started to creep into my head, I thought, you know, I really do want this. I never thought I would. I badly want it, and I'm I'm thankful to have it. I'll ask a question now that if, if you don't want to go into it, we don't have to. Um, you went for the White Sox job, and and it might have been – maybe maybe I, I don't know everything, but I think it might have been one of the few times that, that things haven't shook out in your direction. What did you learn from that process of, of going after something and getting close but not close enough? for me. It, it may have been actually the greatest thing that, that happened to me. And I didn't feel like that at the time, as you and I discussed. Um, you know, it came down to, you know, Jason Benetti is the current voice of the White Sox. And it came down to the, you know, the, 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 he and I were up for the job. You know, we, I had interviewed with Mr. Reinsdorf, you know, at that point. And 
Jason got the job, and I wasn't upset at him. I just thought, man, that's disappointing. I, I lived three miles from the ballpark. You know, it was only 80 games at the time, you know, which eventually they were going to want you to do more. And But but I just thought it would have been such a great setup. It would have been an awesome setup to have that. And when Jason got it over me, I thought, well, that's, that sucks. It's terrible. It was the best thing that possibly could have happened for me because had I picked up that job, it would have essentially eliminated me from covering the NBA playoffs, which I had an opportunity to do the following year. Uh, I never would have had that opportunity if I were working for the White Sox at the time, you know, doing as many games as you're required to do. And I also watched him do the job. And then I learned about his backstory a little bit more. He was a diehard White Sox fan. He grew up in the South suburbs. He grew up with that team. And I thought, you know what? He's, that's perfect for him. He is the absolute, he was 100% the right choice for that job. And then I, I went on and had the opportunity to cover the NBA. And later that year, I called my first Bulls game. I called my first NBA game, and it happened to be a Bulls game at the United Center. Uh, and it was on ESPN. And then I covered a Christmas Day game after that. And then I covered my first playoffs. And I did a game on TV, and I covered uh, the, you know, the, uh, the, second and, the second round of the conference finals on radio all the way through. And I, I never would have had that opportunity if I were you know, locked into doing baseball. And now, with four years of NBA experience in my pocket, I, I now get to slide into a full-time NBA job. And I... I <laughs> It's easy for you and for me in our level of experience to talk to younger broadcasters, younger writers, younger journalists, and say, hey, this, you're going to think that this is a bad thing. It's just, it's just a, a different path, and it's just a different way to, to try to get to where you want to go. But even I was, you know, and I'm sure I've, I've said that to you know, countless broadcasters. I'm sure you've said that to countless journalists. But, of course, when it happens to you, you're going, oh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. I can't believe this happened. This is so dumb. And I, now I look back. It took four years for me to truly realize. I, I realized that after I started covering the NBA, and I've always known that. You know, I've known that the last four years of, hey, I'm glad I didn't get that job because then I got to cover the NBA. But look what it led to, you know, the, the opportunity that it led to. And I, I think it could not have worked out better for Jason. It could not have worked out better for me. And you have, you know, you have to have some of that context to really appreciate it. And I really finally have that context for the first time, even though I knew it and I had said it and I believed it, uh, to have it come to fruition this way, you really buy into the, uh, this is a nice argument for the everything happens for a reason mantra. Well, I think most importantly, if you would have gotten that White Sox job, you never would have got a chance to work with Bryce Drew. So now I got to ask, what was the experience like with working with Bryce Drew? I don't know if you, I, I don't know, I'm sure other, you know, I didn't know him when he was a student and a player. Uh, I, I came in as a freshman and it, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, I believe it was his first year yes. as an assistant coach yes. uh, for Valbo. Yes, it was. So he and, I, he and I both came in to those particular positions at the same time, student and coach. So... I didn't know him as a player, but I, I wouldn't shock me if somebody told me that he was the like a sponge because I watched him develop as an assistant coach and eventually watched him as a head coach. I then covered him a handful of times when he was the head coach at Vanderbilt. And 
I, I saw a significant progression for him as a coach. Just and, and that's what you hope for, right? By sheer volume and experience, you're going to get smarter. You're going to be more skilled at something. You're going to have a better understanding of it. You're going to execute the job better. And I watched Bryce from day one, essentially, of him being a broadcaster to the end of our run together as we were preparing for the American Conference Tournament right before it, you know the, everything happened and you know in, in mid March and, and everything got shut down. I, it was phenomenal. Like the exponential growth of his broadcast acumen and the polish that he came in with. I mean, it was phenomenal to experience, and I can only imagine that that's how he was as a player. Certainly saw that that as a coach, and then I got to witness that firsthand as a broadcaster. He he was if he didn't want to go back into coaching, which obviously he wanted to, and then and then he took the job at Grand Canyon. If he didn't want to coach again and just wanted to broadcast, I truly believe he'd be an elite-level broadcaster. Like, I, I think he would be one of the best in the game. He was really that good. And that was with maybe two dozen broadcasts under his belt. Imagine what he would have been like five years down the line. So he was, he was awesome to work with. We had an instant connection because of our background, our, our shared history together, our, familiar, our familiarity with one another. Uh, just awesome. I'm, I'm proud of him. I'm, I wish him the best. Uh, selfishly, I, I think he would be a great broadcaster, but I know he's a great coach, and he's going to have a great chance at Grand Canyon. I actually have a photograph of you, Homer, Scott, and Bryce from the <laughs> Valpo St. Mary's NIT game, yep. the final time that the three of those guys were all in the same building and uh, at, at, all in the same uh, this, at the arc at the same time. Um, a couple more questions here, and then we'll let you go. Um, you mentioned the American Conference Tournament. That was when you got the word that everything was shutting down. You haven't broadcasted in two months now. Um, you know this. When pitchers come back to spring training, they need to get stretched out. Like, are where are you at right now? Are you? Uh, do you have? Do you, are, are you? Are you putting on Madden and, and calling games? What are you doing? I know I'm still in Cabo after the after we got eliminated in the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> right now, you've gone fishing. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I haven't I haven't succumbed to that yet to uh, calling calling games of Madden or NHL 20 yet. I haven't uh, gotten to that point. I I you know what's been nice, admittedly, and 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 again, I, I if you gave me the alternative of complete normalcy right now i would i would trade just about anything to have that right now and i'm sure a lot of us would but to find you know i think one of the themes of the last few months for a lot of us uh and it's harder and harder with with current times i know uh is to try and find you know whatever silver linings we can and you've known me since i was a student since i first came on campus you've known me since i was 18 so you've known me for a decade and a half and you've known since I came on campus, maybe the longest stretch of time I've gone without calling a game was summer break, maybe a couple months. And I may not end up calling a game until September. You know, we're kind of all under the impression that the NFL is going to take place uh, under normal under a normal schedule, regardless of uh, you know current situation. So that would make it almost six months, maybe five and a half months without calling a game. So I am a little nervous, admittedly to go back. How am I going to feel? Am I going to be rusty? But I also know that when I do start up again and when we do get back to normal, I'm going to be working year round and I'm going to be working fairly nonstop. I'm going to get after it again. I'm looking forward to that. I want that now, especially after this long break. 
but it's been nice to not worry about it for a while. You know, I've been going a hundred miles an hour for a long time and I've enjoyed it. And, and it's of my own choosing. I, I went at that pace. I wanted that pace. And I, as we talked about earlier, I wouldn't have what I have now and the opportunity that I have now, not for that pace, but it's been nice to take a break. I, I, I told myself at some point during this, you know, isolation time that I'll never have this amount of time to recharge, to prioritize, to think about things. I'll never have this time back for the rest of my adult life. Yeah. Yeah. 100% agree with you on that one. You have to enjoy it. You have to try to enjoy it as much as possible, you know, and, and enjoy is a hard word. I know right now, but to maximize that time uh, was very important to me. Uh, the last dance was amazing. Brought us all together for five weeks and it was a celebration of now the Chicago Bulls. Give me your favorite non-Jordan or Pippen Chicago Bull. Uh, it's got to be Stacey King, right? I mean, I, I, <laughs> right now it is. Absolutely. I mean, getting to get, he's a friend. So that's what's, what's great about him. Uh, but I think maybe the, the, the most impactful person has been Steve Kerr. You know, my yeah. dad was a big Steve Kerr fan. Uh, I... I Always enjoy getting to visit with him now. You know, the last four years with the war up until this past year, the Warriors being very, very good, obviously, uh, we covered a lot of Warriors games. So we get to know Steve a little bit. And as great as his story is, you know, and, you know, of hitting the shot at 97, being kind of an overachiever, as he said in the documentary, uh, you know, the backstory of, of his family. And the genesis of his humanity is something that I always admired, especially becoming uh, a part of the NBA fabric as a broadcaster. And to be around him and to understand his, you know, why he feels as strongly about a lot of topics as he does, you know, I feel like uh, he has a, a great global perspective, the type of perspective that I aspire to. Um, being around him, I've thoroughly enjoyed. So... You know that that ninth episode of the last dance was impactful on me when he when they dove into the story about his family. I've been a fan of him from afar as a player. Uh, I've become a fan of his from up close as a coach and as a person. So I think Steve would be right right near the top of that list for me. I've got one final question for you, and it's a tough one. And I don't mean to go Roy Firestone on you here. You referenced oh, back. Am I, I going to cry at the end of this, like Cuba Gooding Jr. At the you end may, of you may, but it's it. It would be you know it's 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 a good moment. Um, <laughs> you referenced the article I wrote about you in 2011 when you got hired at ESPN. The opening line of that story is when Adam Amin received the phone call earlier this month that changed his life. The first person he could think to call was his father. Obviously, we've talked about your father passing and how much of an impact he had on you and your journey and sports and all of that. And when I asked you earlier who you broadcast for, I didn't know what direction you'd go, but I, I do know that you talk about your father a lot and think about and everything. How do you think he'd take the news that you're the play-by-play voice of the Chicago Bulls? I, I, I'm sure I'm caught up in the moment a little bit. So I imagine this, this answer has a, a, a certain level of bias to it based on the time. But I really, really honestly think this would be the biggest thing he's at. He'd be like the, the biggest joy in his life would, would be to see this happen. 
I really believe that. Uh, I, I think he takes connectivity. You know, he took connectivity very seriously the way the way that I do. He was a very he wasn't as outwardly emotional as I am, but he's a very emotional person. You know, he, he took a lot of things to heart. And I think he would very much enjoy this the same way I am in, in the largest possible scope. You know, it's not just, oh, good job, your career has continued to flourish or your career has reached a, a, a great point. It's, this was, you were, you know, we were sitting in the, in, in the basement together watching all these games, watching all these championships, uh, you know, playing Nerf basketball in between, you know, or, or during commercial breaks. You know, of, of all these games, and he'd pass me the ball, and I, you know, spot up for for a shot or whatever on the nerf hoop. Like, those are great memories that I have, and I think he would very much appreciate this on the same level that I appreciate this on. And I really think this would probably be the greatest joy of of like our relationship together. I really do believe that. Adam, thank you very much for joining. We'll always look back as a missed opportunity that we didn't get you to come to the Athletics Recreation Center to broadcast a game on ESPN, but ultimately you broadcast many games at the Arc and Brownfield and Eastgate and all of that as a student at Valpo, and uh, and it's been a lot of fun to watch the journey. And as a friend, I'm really thrilled for you. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate your support and, and being on the phone and being, <laughs> letting me uh... – call you for five minutes just to vent about other stuff and and uh, i think we'll probably be able to serve each other in that capacity for many many complaining years to come thank you thank you